Yeah, thank you, Carl. That was amazing, wasn't it, church? Um, and just what an opportunity we have just to, uh, yeah, to share and show the, uh, the love and hope of Jesus. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. So please make sure uh, to speak more with him before you leave uh, this morning. We're going to continue through the, uh, through the book of Exodus. And uh, just, just as a reminder of just the importance of the events that we're kind of looking at right now. And so um, the event is called the Exodus, thus the name of the book. Uh, but it's essentially, remember, the people of God have been in slavery um, for around 400 years, right? 400 years, um, uh, hard labor, and so building and working uh, for the Egyptians. And so they've been praying and asking God to be delivered, to be set free out of slavery. And now God is answering that prayer. And so God has sent um, a man by the name of Moses and his brother, whose name is Aaron. And they are coming on behalf of God to, uh, to deliver God's people. And, and this is a theme that runs throughout the Bible. I think I mentioned the other day that the word Egypt is mentioned in the Bible over 640 times. And, and about 90% of those have to do with this event. And so whenever God wants to remind his people who he is, when you read through the Old Testament, it's over and over and over. I'm in, uh, I'm, I'm in two kings right now, and it's even in two kings. Uh, he'll continually remind the people, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. This is how they understood who God was and how they understood who they were. He is a God of deliverance who sets people free, and they are a people who have been set free. And so uh, we, we now enter back into this story where Moses and Aaron are now arriving in Egypt. And they're now going to tell Pharaoh God's message, which is, God has sent us to tell you to let his people go couple of little notes here. Um, uh, Moses is 80 years old and Aaron is 83. All right, 80 and 83. Moses lived to be 120, uh, which right now I looked it up. Right now the oldest person in the world is a woman in Japan and she's 114. All right, so it's not astronomical. So in other words, when, when you hear 80, it's not like he lived to be 800. He is an 80-year-old man. All right. And Aaron is 83. And by the way, and so it kind of comes back to what Carl just said, like you're never too young and you're never too old. Amen. Like 80 and 83, they have been sent to go and speak to the most powerful man on the planet Earth at that time. Pharaoh, the Egyptian people considered him a God. And so they're going to say, let our people go. And God is then going to begin to do these miraculous events to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. So we're looking at quite a big chunk of Scripture, Acts chapter 7 through 11. And there is a lot of kind of crazy stuff. It is not, it's like a Jane Austen novel. It's just crazy stuff. And so we're going to watch a video. It's going to just summarize for us what has happened coming up to the plagues. And then we'll spend just a brief time just asking the question, why? Why would God do it this way? Let me pray for us, and then uh, the video will bring us right into the message. Yeah, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the God of deliverance, that you are Yahweh, and you uh, delight in setting captives free.
and you've been doing it for thousands of years. And thank you that we uh, are part of a long lineage of people who have been set free. And thank you that your word says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so thank you, Jesus, that you have come to set the captives free. And, and so as we just look at your word um, this morning, Lord, yeah, there are things that are unfamiliar to us, things that might just even seem very harsh to us. And so, Lord, we, we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding of your word. We pray that we would grow in our understanding of who you are today. But then, Lord, we just pray you would soften our hearts, that we wouldn't simply understand more, that, but, but that, Lord, we might be changed by your word. And so, yeah, just speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What was the meaning and purpose of the Ten Plagues of Egypt? The Ten Plagues of Egypt, also known as the Ten Plagues, the Plagues of Egypt, or the Biblical Plagues, are described in Exodus 7-12. through The plagues were ten disasters sent upon Egypt by God to convince Pharaoh to free the Israelite slaves from the bondage and oppression they had endured in Egypt for 400 years. When God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt, he promised to show his wonders as confirmation of Moses' authority. This confirmation was to serve at least two purposes, to show the Israelites that the God of their fathers was alive and worthy of their worship, and to show the Egyptians that their gods were nothing. The Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years, and in that time had lost faith in the God of their fathers. They believed he existed and worshipped him, but they doubted that he could or would break the yoke of their bondage. The Egyptians, like many pagan cultures, worshipped a wide variety of nature gods and attributed their powers to the natural phenomena they saw in the world around them. There was a god of the sun, of the river, of childbirth, of crops, etc. Events like the annual flooding of the Nile, which fertilized their croplands, were evidences of their god's powers and goodwill. When Moses approached Pharaoh, demanding that he let the people go, Pharaoh responded by saying, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Thus began the challenge to show whose God was more powerful. The first plague, turning the Nile to blood, was a judgment against Apis, the god of the Nile, Isis, goddess of the Nile, and Canum, guardian of the Nile. The Nile was also believed to be the bloodstream of Osiris, who was reborn each year when the river flooded. The river, which formed the basis of daily life and the national economy, was devastated as millions of fish died in the river and the water was unusable. Pharaoh was told, By this you will know that I am the Lord. The second plague, bringing frogs from the Nile, was a judgment against Hecate, the frog-headed goddess of birth. Frogs were thought to be sacred and not to be killed. God had the frogs invade every part of the homes of the Egyptians, and when the frogs died, their stinking bodies were heaped up in offensive piles all throughout the land. The third plague, gnats, was a judgment on Set, the god of the desert. Unlike the previous plagues, the magicians were unable to duplicate this one and declared to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. The fourth plague, flies, was a judgment on Uachit, the fly god. In this plague, God clearly distinguished between the Israelites and the Egyptians, as no swarms of flies bothered the areas where the Israelites lived. The fifth plague, the death of livestock, was a judgment on the goddess Hathor and the god Apis who were both depicted as cattle. As with the previous plague, God protected his people from the plague, while the cattle of the Egyptians died. God was steadily destroying the economy of Egypt, 
while showing his ability to protect and provide for those who obeyed him. Pharaoh even sent investigators to find out if the Israelites were suffering along with the Egyptians. But the result was a hardening of his heart against the Israelites. The sixth plague, boils, was a judgment against several gods over health and disease. Sekhmet, Sunu, and Isis. This time, the Bible says that the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. Clearly, these religious leaders were powerless against the God of Israel. Before God sent the last three plagues, Pharaoh was given a special message from God. These plagues would be more severe than the others, and they were designed to convince Pharaoh and all the people that there is none like me in all the earth. Pharaoh was even told that he was placed in his position by God, so that God could show his power and declare his name through all the earth. As an example of his grace, God warned Pharaoh to gather whatever cattle and crops remained from the previous plagues and shelter them from the coming storm. Some of Pharaoh's servants heeded the warning, while others did not. The seventh plague, Hail, attacked Nut, the sky goddess, Osiris, the crop fertility god, and Set, the storm god. This hail was unlike any that had been seen before. It was accompanied by a fire which ran along the ground, and everything left out in the open was devastated by the hail and fire. Again, the children of Israel were miraculously protected, and no hail damaged anything in their lands. Before God brought the next plague, he told Moses that the Israelites would be able to tell their children of the things they had seen God do in Egypt and how it showed them God's power. The eighth plague, locusts, again focused on Nut, Osiris, and Set. The later crops, wheat and rye, which had survived the hail, were now devoured by swarms of locusts. There would be no harvest in Egypt that year. The ninth plague, darkness, was aimed at the sun god, Re, who was symbolized by Pharaoh himself. For three days, the land of Egypt was smothered by an unearthly darkness, but the homes of the Israelites had light. The tenth and last plague, the death of the firstborn males, was a judgment on Isis, the protector of children. In this plague, God was teaching the Israelites a deep spiritual lesson that pointed to Christ. Unlike the other plagues, which the Israelites survived by virtue of their identity as God's people, this plague required an act of faith by them. God commanded each family to take an unblemished male lamb and kill it. The blood of the lamb was to be smeared on the top and sides of the doorways, and the lamb was to be roasted and eaten that night. Any family that did not follow God's instructions would suffer in the last plague. God described how he would send the destroyer through the land of Egypt, which orders to slay the firstborn male of every household, whether human or animal. The only protection was the blood of the lamb on the door. When the destroyer saw the blood, he would pass over that house and leave it untouched. This is where the term Passover comes from. Passover is a memorial of that night in ancient Egypt when God delivered his people from bondage. 1 Corinthians 5.7 teaches that Jesus became our Passover when he died to deliver us from the bondage of sin. While the Israelites found God's protection in their homes, every other home in the land of Egypt experienced God's wrath as their loved ones died. This grievous event caused Pharaoh to finally release the Israelites. By the time the Israelites left Egypt, they had a clear picture of God's power, God's protection, and God's plan for them. For those who were willing to believe, they had convincing evidence that they served the true and living God. Sadly, many still failed to believe, which led to other trials and lessons by God. The result for the Egyptians and the other ancient people of the region was a dread of the God of Israel. Even after the tenth plague, Pharaoh once again hardened his heart and sent his chariots after the Israelites. When God opened a way through the Red Sea for the Israelites, then drowned all of Pharaoh's armies there, the power of Egypt was crushed, and the fear of God spread through the surrounding nations. 
This was the very purpose that God had declared at the beginning. We can still look back on these events today to confirm our faith in and our fear of this true and living God, the judge of all the earth. Got questions? Ask him if you do. He'll make a video. Um, it's really helpful, I think, um, just to see God's plan and purpose here in the book of Exodus. So if, if you have a Bible, um, I want to encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. And uh, we're just going to look at some verses in Exodus chapter 7. Um, and, then, and then just look at three things that God was up to in this work that he was doing. Uh, here through the plagues um, in Egypt. So Exodus um, chapter 7 and uh, in verse 1 um, says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. And then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with my mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions and my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. And Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said or had predicted. Then the Lord said to Moses, and this is, this is going to be a key verse in Exodus, in this part, so uh, you would maybe want to highlight or just mark verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Pharaoh's heart is unyielding, refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river, confront him on the bank of the Nile, and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you to say, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. Uh, what is happening here? What, what do we see in the ten plagues of Egypt? And we're going to see uh, three simple uh, truths we see. Number one, we see this, that in the ten plagues of Egypt, we see the miraculous work of God. In the ten plagues of Egypt, we see the miraculous work of God. Um, this is what he tells them uh, in verses 2 and 3. He, uh, he says this, it's not going forward, gents, for some reason. It's green. 
but not moving forward. Um, but, but he says this. He says, tell Aaron everything I commanded you. And Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel leave this country. And then he says it this way. But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. My miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. So uh, we, we want to acknowledge and be clear that, that this is a miraculous work of God. Um, it, it would be tempting to try to look and try to scientifically deduce and figure out maybe kind of like a human explanation for what's going on here. And, and the reality is oftentimes the miraculous is taking the natural to the level of the supernatural. So in other words, locust eating crops, that happens every day. Uh, locust eating only specific crops to a specific point is supernatural. Uh, someone getting boils is natural. It happens every day. Um, people being covered in boils just in one place at one point in time is supernatural. Uh, and, and we could go on. And so it, it is the miraculous. It is God, in most instances, uh, taking the natural to the supernatural. Unfortunately, um, uh, babies die every day. That's natural. But here we see the supernatural in the Passover. And so let's not lose sight that this is the miraculous. He says, uh, by miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. And in, in the Hebrew, which this would have been written in, uh, signs and wonders in Hebrew literally means a special display of God's power for the purpose of sending a message. A special display of God's power for the purpose of sending a message. And so uh, what is the special display of God's power? Well, he gives us 10 of these, right? So he's going to provide the people of Egypt with 10 um, uh, special displays of his power. And, and each one is going to be directed, in a sense, at the false gods of Egypt. Because God says, listen, my point here is that they would know the one true God, and that's Yahweh. And so there's this special display of his power, and it's to send a message. And what is the message? He says it over and over and over. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let the slaves go. And so it is a special display of God's power. And by the way, when we get to the New Testament, this is exactly how we see miracles done in the New Testament. Uh, miracles that Jesus does, miracles that the disciples do, are always special displays of God's power for the purpose of sending a message. And so that, that they would know the message of Jesus was true. Remember, uh, let's see, an example would be, remember with the friends, they bring his mate who is paralyzed and they bring him before Jesus and they, they lower him down through the roof on a mat. And Jesus looks at the man who cannot walk. And if you remember, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, but so that you will know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, take up your mat and walk. And he heals him. Now, why does he heal him? It's interesting there. He heals him so that they'll know the message is Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. 
Jesus came to forgive sins. And I'm going to heal you so that everyone here watching this will know that I've come to forgive sins. It's exactly what we have here. You have God doing special displays of power so that the world will know he is a God who has come to set people free. You have to keep it in that context. In that context, it's a beautiful thing that he is doing so that people will know he is the God who has come to set the captives free. So first we see that in the 10 plagues of Egypt, we see the miraculous work of God. Uh, Secondly, we see this, uh, church, in the 10 plagues of Egypt, we see the meaningful work of God. We see the miraculous work of God, but we also see the meaningful work of God. Uh, Verses 4 and 5, he uh, says this, says, even the Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So I will bring down my fist on Egypt, and then I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. And when I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, watch this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. It's a miraculous work, but miracles always have, as we just saw, a purpose. There's always a reason. There's a meaning behind the work of God. And he tells us right here, he spells it out for us, what the work is in verses 4 and 5. He says, I'll raise my powerful hand and I'll bring out the Israelites. The word there, bring out, means set free. I'll set them free and then the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. And so it's, it's quite clear. He says, God was at work to do these two things, to rescue his people from slavery and to reveal himself to the Egyptians. And, And I don't want us to miss this. Let's don't miss that God's purpose was not to judge the Egyptians. In fact, I would say God's purpose was not even to punish the Egyptians. God's purpose was to set his people free and that the Egyptians would know that he was the Lord. And we can't lose sight of that. This isn't like a vindictive, mean God who takes pleasure in, in, in zapping the Egyptians. In fact, God says in Ezekiel, he says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Uh, He says in the New Testament, it's not his will that any should perish, but all would come to a knowledge of eternal life. Uh, God is 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 not a a mean kid with a microscope or a you know magnifying glass burning ants. That's not who God is. God's not up in heaven laughing, enjoying you know zapping the Egyptians. That's not his character. It breaks the heart of God. He he says it's not his will that any would perish. They would all come to know me. And so we don't want to lose sight that, that uh, he loves Egypt. Now listen to this. He loves Egypt to the same degree that he loves the Hebrews. In fact, as you read through the Psalms, you're going to see over and over and over. And uh, when I did my doctorate, I wrote my dissertation on this, that, that you'll see from the very beginning the purpose of the nation of Israel was to be a missionary sending force to the nations. That was their purpose. He didn't choose them because he didn't like everybody else. He chose them because he loved everybody else and wanted the whole world to know it. And that's exactly what we have here in Egypt. So, so don't, don't lose sight of the character of God in this, that he loves Pharaoh as much as he loves Moses, right? The difference is, and we're going to get to this in a minute, the difference is their heart. He loves Pharaoh every bit as he loves Moses, but the difference is 
their heart, how they respond. All right. And so uh, there's this miraculous work that God's going to do a special work, a special display of his power. Right. That they would receive the message. And then what is the message? What is the meaning? Well, the meaning is let my people go out of slavery and reveal himself to the Egyptians. So uh, we see the miraculous work, uh, the meaningful work. But then lastly, we see this, that in the 10 plagues, Uh, of Egypt, we see the merciful work of God. And the 10 plagues of Egypt, we see the merciful work of God. In verses 15 and 16, we see this. Uh, The Lord says, go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes down to the river and stand on the bank of the Nile and meet him there and be sure to take along the staff that turned into a snake. And then announced to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go. Why? So that they can worship me in the wilderness. Now, um, uh, hopefully you, you read through this before today. If not, well, I really would encourage you to read it this week. Because you're going to see a pattern that's really important. And the pattern is this. After every plague... God will send Moses to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Happens every time. So there's a plague, right? So there's judgment, there's a plague, there's a miracle, and there's a message. There's a miracle and a message. There's a miracle and the message. The miracles change, the message does not. And so every time it's, it's Moses coming back and saying, please let God's people go. <coughs> Let God's people go. And so there's mercy here, and I don't want us to miss it, because uh, Pharaoh gets opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to stop this cycle of judgment. Like Pharaoh gets multiple opportunities to stop the cycle. And so this is what we see then, that God did not give Pharaoh what he deserved, but instead Gave him multiple chances to repent. Gave him multiple chances to repent. And every time he says what? He says no. He says no. So what's going on with his heart? Because sometimes the the text says that he hardened his heart. And sometimes the text says that God hardened his heart. And, And it seems like, wait, so like, Lord, if you were hardening his heart, it seems like then your your offer to him to let the people go was disingenuous because he couldn't because you hardened his heart, right? So um, you have to to put on your Bible nerd hat and kind of swim in the deep end. Uh, And and unfortunately, our English translation lets us a bit down on the Hebrew. All languages don't translate, you know, the same every time. And so in Hebrew, this is a really rich word. and, And I was trying to think of like, the best illustration. Here's the best one I came up with. Imagine in, uh, in this hand, and I was going to actually bring these, but it wasn't practical, because I would need a glass of wet concrete, and they don't sell that at the Little. So um, imagine in this, ha- in this hand, I have a big glass of wet uh, cement, wet concrete. Everybody with me? And in this hand, I have a same big glass of solid butter, all right? This hand, a big glass of wet concrete. This hand, a big glass 
of solid butter. And on a beautiful day like today, I take both of these and I set them out on the pavement and I leave them all day, right? Now, they are going to be sitting under the same sun, getting the same amount of sunlight from the same star, same distance away. Everything is identical, okay? What will the results be? The glass of butter will melt. So it will go from solid to liquid. The glass of concrete will harden, and it will go from liquid to solid. Everybody got that? That is the Hebrew word here. And so Moses, when he hears the voice of God, and when Yahweh speaks to him, his heart melts, right? When Pharaoh hears the same God and hears the same message, his heart hardens, all right? And the first four plagues, Pharaoh is active in hardening his heart. So you'll need to go back and read. The first four plagues, it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh did it. The last four or five plagues going up to the Passover, the back half of the plagues is the Hebrew word for the sun shining on Pharaoh and his heart gets harder. His heart that he hardened got even harder in the presence of God. His heart that he hardened, first four plagues, got even harder in the presence of God. And can I just say, We'll see it around the world today in churches around the world in the preaching of the gospel. Some people will hear the preaching of the gospel and their hearts will melt. And some people will hear the preaching of the gospel and their hearts will harden. And it often the difference is the condition of your heart when you came into the building. And so uh, I don't want us to miss this merciful act of God. The reality is what? Don't miss this. The reality is he could have killed every single Egyptian in a half of a second and the the people of God could have just walked out. Matter of fact, that just seems like it would have been a lot quicker and the book of Exodus would be a lot shorter, right? Like Cod could have just said, done. Everybody's dead. People walk out. Why did God not do that? Because he loved the Egyptians. Because he loved the Egyptians. And he said, Pharaoh, please. Pharaoh, please. Pharaoh, I'm begging you. Until you get to the parting of the Red Sea. And even then, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And him and the entire Egyptian army are killed. And so, what do we see? It's a beautifully tragic, yet amazing story. Where we see the miraculous work of God the meaningful work of God, and the merciful work of God. And can I say, he is still the God who has come to set the captives free. Amen? Jesus said in John three seventeen, he said, I did not come to the world to condemn the world, but through me the world might be saved. He came to set Tam free in Dudley. He came to set you know, John free in Erdington. He came to set Elizabeth free in London. 
He came to set Zadik free in Leicester. He came to set all of us free through the work on the cross. And who are you and I? We are the Moses and Aaron of our generation. And we are the people who go with the message of freedom. And God has called us for such a time as this that we might proclaim to Erdington, to the north of Birmingham, and to the nations that there is a God who has come to set the captives free. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come to set the captives